0: Here is your host, the loudest conservative voice in America fighting the enemies of freedom, Mark
1: Walters.
0: Walter, Walter.
1: Wow, here we go. Round two, Armed American Radio's Daily Defense. The second hour, our first show live from the Venetian and Sands Convention Center in fabulous Las Vegas. 2023 we've been doing this a long time been at the shot since uh, going back to 2000 and they run into each other i tell you but this is a, an exciting year post-covid this floor is packed as we bring the program to you today from the sig Hour studios the mobile Six Hour studios on now the fort worth armory platinum microphone in this hour of course all of this is presented to you today and every day by x insurance i hope you enjoyed the first hour of the program that final segment with Michael Cargill was fantastic the winner of the bump stock band case in the fifth circuit we'll be talking with him again on the Sunday monster cast upcoming so stay tuned for that beginning of next week sitting across from me now my good friend means he's your good friend Dr. John Lott is here with John I shake your paw across the table because we're not on the phones together it's always great to have you
2: it's actually good to see you face
1: to face it's fun stuff Uh, your thoughts on on shot this year it's a big difference isn't it
2: uh, well, I haven't been here the last couple of years, but uh, it kind of reminds me of what it was like before the pandemic hit. So. It's nice to see them kind of back up to speed on well,
1: things. Let's just say this is uh, double what it was last year, to give you an indication. Right. So that it, it was crazy post-COVID. I kind of liked it for all those years going. It was kind of relaxing to not well, be bumping into to everybody. you can get a
2: hotel room at the last moment <laughs> if you needed it. And it
1: was a little bit less expensive, too. John, uh, we've got a segment with you here to start the second hour. Uh, over the holidays, we haven't talked to you in about a month on the show. There's been a lot of developments. I'm going to let you – where do you want to start before we – just take it away.
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot that's happening not only in the United States, but around the world. I mean, one thing that I think is interesting is just what's happened in Brazil. Um, You know, when uh, Bolsonaro became president uh, four years ago, uh, Brazil had some of the most restrictive gun control laws in the world. Um, And uh, they also had one of the highest homicide rates in the world. Uh, In the last four years, Bolsonaro through executive orders, made it easier for people to get guns. There was about a 600 percent, over a 600 percent increase in the number of people who are legally licensed to have a gun. And at the same time, the homicide rate fell by 34 percent. Of course, that can't happen, right? And the media was kind of beforehand. (laughs) It didn't fit their narrative, did it? Right. Well, you know, you, you have places like the... Washington Post which are still citing these public health people which you would think after COVID they'd be a little bit skeptical about (laughs) but they're saying each one percent increase in gun ownership is associated with a a six-tenths of a percentage increase in uh, homicides so that would mean the homicide rate should have gone up by 360 percent at least rather than falling by 34 percent but you know so now they're having to come up with all sorts of explanations because I can give you literally dozens like five dozen quotes from major news outlets or so and so-called experts predicting that Bolsonaro's policies were going to cause the homicide rate to explode yep. in Brazil and, uh, and now they're having to kind of backtrack and explain why that didn't happen but the problem is Bolsonaro was very narrowly defeated in the election and Lula, who's a socialist, um, he is moving to ban guns. He has frozen the sale of uh, ammunition and guns. Uh, he's immediately you he were allowed to own up to six guns under Bolsonaro, and now it's down to three. So people are given, like, literally weeks to get rid of uh, several of their guns if they own more than three. But he's going to move to eventually co- reduce gun ownership down to zero you know, I just hope these guys remember all this time all the predictions that they're making. They about, won't. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. None of the places, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and then the international places like The Guardian or whatever, it's amazing how strong of the predictions they were making back in 2019 and 2020 about that homicide rates were going to soar. No mea culpas, no things saying that we were wrong, you know, no apologies. And uh, I'm sure you're right about this, but it's, you know, at least there'll be people like on your show and whatever, you know, and they can go to our website and see the data and see that, uh, you know, what we say with more guns, less crime, that you can make it risky for criminals to commit crime by making it so that individuals are able to go and defend themselves. Can
1: I make a very bold prediction? First of all, listeners, I I, I got to bring you theater of the mind. I can see John smiling. As he's talking about this now, so I'll just convey that to you. Because this is almost like an I told you so. John, we've talked about your research on this program for many years. And I wasn't shocked by what happened in Brazil. And, and I don't think anybody in this room, the many thousands of people here, would be shocked by what happened in Brazil. Yet the press comes in to try to push this agenda, which is why I said that they're not going to be friendly to us. They're just going to move on. When the crime rate goes up, and it's going to go up in Brazil, I'll make that prediction right now. Pretty, probably a pretty bold prediction, right? They're not going to talk about it. It'll, it'll be off the pages. They won't say it because it doesn't fit that narrative. It's what we expect from the media. So I'm going to ask an almost rhetorical question: Does John Lott believe the crime rate is going to go up? Yeah, with sure. these, of course. I think
2: it will. I don't see I mean, how. It I couldn't. don't think it's the only thing that affects the crime rate, but I think it's an important thing. And I don't think, you know, <clears throat> um, look, police any place. Are important. I think more police are valuable in reducing crime. I think they're the most important factor, but I think the police themselves understand that they virtually always arrive on the crime scene after the crimes occurred. And I don't think the police in Brazil are as good on average as the police here in the United States. There's a lot more corruption and other problems. The police don't even go into certain neighborhoods. No, and there's extreme
1: poverty in Brazil that we don't have here. And those gangs that run those, and I forget what they call the the ghettos in Brazil, forgive me, but the the gangs that run those areas are not going to give up their firearms. We all know that to be the case. John, in the essence of time, you've got a great piece Fox News ran. At Fox News, murders are becoming even more concentrated in a handful of urban counties. Again, this is not a shock to me either, but what's happening here? What is your research finding out?
2: You know, murder is not a U.S. problem. Murder is heavily concentrated in certain areas. So 5% of the counties in the United States account now for 73% of the murders. And from 2014 to now, it's gone up from 69% to 73%. And, you know, over half the counties in the United States have zero murders. And if you just look at counties that have zero murders or one murders, 70% of the counties in the United States have either zero murders or one murder. So it's very heavily concentrated. And it's not just concentrated in those counties. Within those counties, it's very heavily concentrated. So if you look at Los Angeles County, which we break out the numbers for, 86% of the murders in Los Angeles County occur in 30% of the zip codes. Uh, 40% of the zip codes in Los Angeles County have either zero murders or 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 1% of the murders there in the whole county. So it's, it's you know, it's... Uh, people, a lot of people will compare, like, the murder rate in the United States to other countries, and I think that's very misleading because, unlike most other countries, we have a much more concentrated murder rate than than other countries do. John, and before, it's very, very related to drug gang type stuff. Of
1: course it is. Before I go to the break, let me ask you this, because we hear... From the left particularly every towns the the mom's demand action etc all the groups say that as gun ownership rises and they point to red states they they try to equate that with more crime etc I've always made the point that 's take the blue Democrat run cities out of those states is that a fair statement for me to make
2: well, I mean yeah I mean uh, obviously crime control policing judges are locally elected those are all local decisions that are there but uh, there are lots of problems with that type of analysis. There are lots of reasons why different places have higher or lower crime rates than the other. What, what they don't look at is how the crime rate changes when gun ownership changes right. over time. And that's the way most researchers do it. I mean, I'll give you an example that a lot of people point to. They'll say, look, compare the United Kingdom to the United States. The United Kingdom essentially bans most types of guns, uh, shotguns you can own. Uh, but And they have a very low homicide rate. So it must be the fact that they have strict gun control that causes a low homicide rate. What people don't realize is that they had an even lower homicide rate compared to the United States before they had the gun control laws that were there. <laughs> and that it went up. So, like, you go back to London in 1900. London is a city of 8.5 million people. And gun ownership, very common. Do you know how many gun murders they had in a city of eight and a half million people in 1903? And they had no gun control at, at, at all at that time. And so they had like five armed robberies. We in don't the get city. the facts, I can't even John. get my mind around <laughs> a place where you have eight and a half million people and three gun murders. John Lott. Thank you.
1: Sitting across the table from me. I love it. He's not on the phone, but he's sitting right here with me. Armed American Radio's Daily Defense will be back from the Shooting, Hunting, and Outdoor Trade Show. Holly Sullivan from Connecticut's coming. We've got history together. We'll be back right after this. Daniel Defense advocates for the individual's right to bear arms, which is why they manufacture 100% American-made, high-quality firearms backed with a lifetime warranty. To learn more, visit DanielDefense.com. Welcome back to the show. Ah, yes, welcome back to the show indeed, Daniel Defense. I tell you to come back from that break to visit DanielDefense.com. I was able to go visit Daniel Defense today in person. Daniel Defense representatives will be here in the booth, the mobile Sig hour Studios with me on the crossbreed mic all brought by X-Insurance. Just spoke to their CEO a couple minutes ago. We're going to meet up with him right after this program airs. Lots of fun stuff to cover for you there. But uh, Daniel Defense will be here and uh, probably at least two to three segments tomorrow on the broadcast. Mark Walters filling your prescription for freedom today and every day in the Sig hour Studios on the crossbreed mic. Sitting across from me is somebody that we haven't had on the program in a while. and I, I Let me apologize for that in advance, but time gets away from You look back and go, wow, it's been two years already, right? And that's Holly Sullivan, now the president of CCDL, which is Connecticut Citizens Defense League. You were not the president the last time you were on the show, I don't think, were you?
6: I don't think I was. So
1: congratulations there. I bet you've got your work cut out for you now. It's a little busier, huh?
6: Yes. I've been in this role for three years now, so I think time is just flying.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you know a little bit of my history in Connecticut, okay? I, I graduated high school in Simsbury. You know the area. I did my, and you chuckled when I said this. I do, too. When I, tell you, I admit that I did my first year of college at University of Bridgeport underneath the big red and white smokestack, right? I'll never forget taking a bus. I went, took a bus, Greyhound bus, from the Bridgeport bus terminal to Hartford. My girlfriend picked me up and dropped me off at midnight to take a Greyhound bus back to Bridgeport. And I assumed I would call my roommate who would come and get me. And those days were payphone days. He was in New York. I was stranded at the Bridgeport bus terminal at 1.30 in the morning and I thought I'm going to have to walk this. I would have never been here doing radio and a cab driver felt sorry for me and took me to the campus, which is probably the only reason I'm sitting here having this conversation. You're shaking your head. You get it. Very, very rough area. But I know the area well. And here's what's funny about it as I often go back to this on the show. I can remember when I lived there walking out into my friend's backyards, plinking with 22 rifles in the woods at that time. And police officers coming in because a neighbor called when they saw we were just shooting at cans, told us to have a great time and be careful. Today, those parents, my parents and myself, would I'd probably be in a mental institution. My parents would be locked up, wouldn't they?
6: Yeah, it's definitely not a friendly climate in our state. Um, and that's changed significantly in the last decade or so.
1: But, well, you got Blumenthal, you got Murphy. Besides that, What's what's given way? To, I, because it was changing before Newtown, too. It wasn't Newtown. I think Newtown was a springboard, obviously, but it had been getting bad prior to that. What was the catalyst there that made Connecticut so bad?
6: So I really do think that The Sandy Hook tragedy was a a tremendous turning point for us. But it was going that direction. Um, You know, at the end of the day, it is a state full of folks who really don't understand the issue. Our legislature is packed with folks that are not willing to have a genuine conversation about what is happening and why it's happening. Um, And there's just a lot of misinformation out there among the public about responsible gun ownership um, and there's certainly a lot of problems but it, it you know certainly has changed exponentially since sandy
1: well there's also been some civil disobedience in connecticut as well god bless connecticut after newtown the weapons registration scheme very little compliance with that i, I was begging people sarcastically but not come on connecticut state police enforce it do it Lock up 200, 300, 400, 500,000 Connecticut residents. They don't have any convictions, and they won't stand on them, and they never did. What's happened? That's still in effect, I assume.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and it's actually uh, we're in a really difficult spot right now. So we have a new governor uh, since that time. So that was Governor Malloy that mm-hmm. signed Public Act thirteen. Daniel P. Malloy, yes, yes. we remember him. Can't forget him. Um, and now we have Governor Ned Lamont, who actually made some statements just a month or so ago, stating that he doesn't believe that any of those grandfather guns should still be grandfathered. So Correct, actually, I covered it
1: on the show. You're yeah, right. Yeah,
6: absolutely. So now we're facing a situation where we're actually starting to question. Are they going to come and take them now? So for the, the folks who did do what they were told to do, is that majority party going to renege on the deal that they made with law-abiding gun owners? And, and are we really going to be looking at a genuine confiscation? And you
1: know, I guess the operative words here and what I just heard you say, the deal that they made mm. with law-abiding gun owners, I don't trust the Democrats when it comes to gun control to make a deal. And our Second Amendment, which I have right here, on my arm is not open for wheeling and dealing mm-hmm. and I know you get that that's why you do what you do and that's why you who you, you are who you are I, I, have you talked to any of those people that had that did make the deal and registered the gun have you have you spoken to any of them because I'll tell you if I was them right now I'd be scared to death after a comment like that from my governor.
6: Absolutely. And, and it's really, you know, for folks, for good people who have a lot on the line, they're afraid that their kids will be taken or that they'll be registered felons if they can't keep their jobs. How would they afford to live in a state like Connecticut if they lose their jobs because they cannot be a felon? And, and that's a condition it's of It's hard employment. to live there
1: anyway, and it's so expensive anymore.
6: Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there's an awful lot of folks who are in that situation. There was definitely non-compliance, but there was also a lot of compliance as well. Um, you know, and I, and I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of discussion in the legislature now, even amongst the majority party, if that's the right thing to do. There are a lot of sitting legislators who were legislators at the time that think that that is not the route we should go and do believe that they should stand by what they said they would do 10 years ago. Um, And and there's folks who are just rabidly anti-gun, and they want to take everything out of our state.
1: Well, you've got Blumenthal, who is a real thorn in the side of gun owners. Murphy, as well. Very instrumental, of course, Murphy and the... The most uh, prolific gun control package in the last 30 years, which has done nothing, by the way, no. but not a thing, except give them a talking point. Uh, we, can thank, uh, we can thank Cornyn in and Texas and, and 14 other Republicans for that, but we don't have time to go there. We'll just mention we can thank them for that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. But you live there with him. The media coverage they get is all one-sided. Connecticut residents are not getting the facts. In your local press, I know that for a fact. They're not seeing the truth. They're getting what he says, not what you say, which makes your job, I know, that much more difficult. So what type of avenues are you using to get that word out? to people who might not be CCDL members, because we're going to push people to join join you now.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So it's doing opportunities just like this. Um, I do frequently keep in touch with my local news channels, um, but they might do a four-minute interview with me and wind up putting 10 seconds on the air. Um, yeah. So you have to kind of fight for every opportunity to be heard, because you might, even if you change just a few minds, it at least plants that seed and gets folks to see you as the human beings that we really are.
1: All right with the time we have left in this segment, we're going to keep here as long as we can. Okay. We're going to talk about stalking. You're doing some amazing work there. And I think a lot of listeners around the country have somebody or maybe themselves who were involved in that, uh, who know someone who was stalked. It's very frustrating. And I just saw the Netflix series. I I couldn't take it. I watched six or seven of them in a row. I binge watched it. I guess is what you call it. Right. But before that, let's talk post Bruin quickly in Connecticut. I know people that have lots of friends in Connecticut from the years, over the years. They have Connecticut permits. Is it hard to get a CCW in Connecticut?
6: It is a tedious process. We'll say that. Um, so state statute says that the local municipality has up to eight weeks to issue what's called a temporary permit. That's our first step in the process. Um, quite a few municipalities do not abide by the eight-week statute. So the CCDL currently has a lawsuit filed. Um, it was what we would call the 30 case. And we have uh, brought a lawsuit against three of our major cities. So the lawsuit is against the city of New Haven, the city of Hartford, and the city of Bridgeport. All three regularly violate that eight-week statute. Who issue.
1: controls all three of those cities? What political party controls those individual cities?
6: I would have to say that is a majority party, the Democrat party. At the Demo- I was just
1: curious as we go to a yeah. break, ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted you to hear that it's the Democrat party coming after your guns every single time. It's not a myth. We speak the truth here. And you know what? Democrats that are listening, the truth is a harsh mistress sometimes. It's your party. You're to blame if you're voting for them. We'll be right back. The following segment of Armed American Radio is being brought to you by Defender Coffee. When you drink Defender Coffee, you're making a donation to a gun rights organization of your choice that protects and defends your freedoms. Welcome back to the show. Armed American Radio's Daily Defense coming to you from the 20, my 23rd shot show here, the shooting, hunting and outdoor trade show in Las Vegas. I got to tell you, my, my producer here is laughing at me because Paul Markle, student of the gun, just walked by and made a funny face as I was getting ready to, to go live. Paul will be on the show with us tomorrow from fabulous Las Vegas. We are sitting here in the Sig Sauer Studios on the Fort Worth Armory microphone, all of this being presented to you today and every day, no matter where we are broadcasting from across the country, by the great X-Insurance. And across from me, we're going to continue a fascinating conversation with Holly Sullivan, uh, Connecticut Citizens Defense League, CCDL. CCDL. Before we get going, tell people where they can go and join you. They do not have to live in Connecticut to support your cause.
6: Absolutely. So the website is ccdl.us, and uh, just click on Join. Um, it is free to be a member if you just want to get our news and keep up to date with what we're doing. Or there's cured memberships where you can check out what's right for you.
1: You need help up there.
6: We sure do. Badly.
1: So let's go back to the permit structure yep. that we were talking about first, and we're going to use that to segue into some lawsuits, and then I want to get into the real meat of the conversation. That's the stalking issue that you're working on. It's personal for a lot of people. I have a story myself. Uh, but the permit structure, so you, had to get, you have to get a, a temporary permit first. Obviously, the counties or whoever is in charge, of the cities, violate those. You reminded us that it was, in fact, the Democrat Party controls all those cities and controls your state government. I'm assuming it's a supermajority? Oh, yeah. Okay, so they're run roughshod, just like they do in California. They can do anything they want to do, and Republican vote makes no difference, and they're going to do that. So any bill that comes up, when they say they don't want to take your guns, the Democrats say they don't want to take your guns. If a bill comes up and says they want to take your guns, every Democrat will likely champion that, won't they?
6: Oh, I do expect them to. Stick with Well, they're, they're going
1: to move in that direction yep. in your state. You already know that. Your governor has already telegraphed that. He didn't do that by accident. So the permit structure... You tell, walk walk through us that. What happens? So I come into Connecticut. Let's say I live in Simsbury, and I want to get my permit. I'm a new resident. What do I do?
6: Sure. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to take your NRA basic pistol course or something similar, USCCA, whatever route you want to go there. It has to be approved by the state, so you're going to take that training class, pay for that. Then you're going to go to your local town municipality and submit your application. What's that- the cost that? Um, so your so total cost all in you're going to be around three hundred dollars. Okay. So, but it's broken up into increments. Sure. So you're looking at like maybe your first seventy two dollars to do your an, an initial portion there. Um, so you go in and you file for you file your application for your temporary permit. They have up to two months to issue that. Eight weeks. Um, many municipalities. Re- go over that, and there is absolutely no recourse for mm-hmm. them aside from taking them to port. Um, there is what's called the Board of Firearms Permit Examiners. Um, you can appeal to them. Um, there are folks who have said that they've been waiting up to three years to be heard at the Board of Firearms Permit Examiners. So it depends on, you know, kind of how you how you fall into that. But um, So once you get issued that temporary permit, you cannot buy a gun and you cannot buy ammunition.
1: <laughs> so it really doesn't do a whole lot. I'd hold on a second. I, I'm having some fun with this. Yeah i want to try to make John smile, who's sitting across from me. Connecticut bills itself, because I remember on my license plate on my car in Connecticut when I was driving to school in high school for that year and a half I lived there, it said the Constitution stayed on it. Did Paul Revere have to go to the Board of Firearms Permitting Review Board to get a gun before he took it on a ride? Sure didn't. I'm just curious.
6: Yep, didn't happen.
1: I, I'm just using it as an example. Would he New have had England. to do it? Because yeah. he, he, if he crossed the state border into Connecticut, would he, would he have had to check his firearms or put them in the back of a satchel bag? and this, is, uh, this Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about the nonsense here. We're playing with this nonsense that your fellow citizens have to go through. This yeah. is utter nonsense. It angers me. And continue before Angry Mark comes out, which I know a lot of my listeners like, but I don't want to do it here on the floor.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So you get your temporary permit that gives you zero rights. You can't buy a gun. You can't buy a single round of twenty two ammunition. Nothing. Nada. Then you, once you have that temporary permit, which is a piece of paper, you have to go to state police, show them that you have your temporary permit, wow. pay them more money, and then you get issued your plastic card. And at that point, you can buy ammunition and a firearm.
1: And this whole process, on average, assuming they stayed within the eight weeks, which we know they don't, they, they intentionally don't, uh, What would, would be about how long?
6: Yeah, so if you figure, let's say up to eight weeks municipal, then you can actually walk into state police. Um, during COVID, they were doing appointments. It was hard to get an appointment, but they have corrected that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking 10 weeks. That's a long time. It's a very long time, especially for somebody who needs a firearm for self-defense. All
1: right, before we go into lawsuits, I think that's a great place to, to segue into the stalking issue. We'll go back to CCDL again in the, in the final segment with you. But What Someone who might need a permit, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use a personal example. I was dating a girl in in Pennsylvania many years ago in in a life in a galaxy far, far away before I moved to Florida. She wanted to escape Pennsylvania to go to her dad's in Florida, in large part because she was being stalked by a boyfriend. And one of the traits that I noticed as I was dating her, this guy would show up all over the place. She continued to try to appease him because she had no other option in her mind. No piece of paper was working. She thought, maybe if I just talked to him, and it wasn't intentional, it wasn't like she was, she, she really thought, I don't have any options here. The law is not on your side if you're a stalking victim. I saw that when I was watching that series. It is mind-boggling to me. What's your involvement?
6: Yeah, absolutely. So I deal with an awful lot of women that have been through these circumstances, not only just in my state in Connecticut, um, but also through my work with the DC Project. I'm on the advisory board with the DC Project, and we, we work with a lot of women survivors that, that share their mm-hmm. stories um, to try to get our legislators to understand what people are going through. Um, you know, the very harsh reality is that a restraining order is simply a piece of paper. Um, we hear that all the time. But what a lot of folks don't realize is that that Additional charge is nominal. So if somebody is set on murdering somebody, they're there and they intend to do physical harm, what is the additional add-on because they violated a restraining order? They don't care. Negligible. It's absolutely negligible. Um, So, you know, it's really important that we have a meaningful conversation about how women can defend themselves if they're in that situation because the police can be 8, 10, 12 minutes away, and that's just simply too long.
1: So now we go back to the permitting process. Correct. Now this person is being stalked and finally makes the decision. Mm-hmm. Let's not even say, let's say that this person can afford to live in Connecticut. Let's say that this person has the money to pay for the permit, which is over $300. bucks. let us not even get into the fact that it might be someone who can't afford the permit. That's a whole different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Now you've got someone who has the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they live somewhere really nice up in Avon, and they got the money. Mm-hmm. They're being stalked. I've made a decision. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get my gun permit. All the nonsense that you just told us, she still has to go through. There is no route for her. Absolutely not. Yet, uh, I'm going to guess the stalker really won't care. Correct. He could be a felon. And he's not going to apply for a permit. He's not going to think, ladies and gentlemen, this is the absurdity of this. In order to think that these gun control laws work and keep bad people from owning guns, you would actually have to believe, and I want you to stop me if I'm wrong here with what I'm about to say, that the stalker is going to say, "Ah, I have to wait at least 10 weeks before I can go after her because I got to get my permit first.
6: Yeah. Unfortunately, we had a woman in our state uh, just a month or two ago who was actually murdered by an ex with an ax. Um, so it just goes to show, somebody doesn't need a firearm to do these things. Um, they'll use anything, anything. Um, if they're intent on doing harm, that's their decision, and that's where they're going to go with it. The only, the only thing that we know levels the playing field, especially for women who might be strong, uh, to be smaller, not as strong, is firearm.
1: That's common sense to myself and everybody at this table in the mobile studios. It's common sense to everybody in this room, every alpha male and every alpha female in here, tens of thousands strong. And you have to wonder, let's take this back to your politicians. Would Murphy listen to you? Would, would Blumenthal listen to you? Would your new governor listen to you to what you just said? Would it make any sense to them?
6: So um, with the D.C. Project, I've had the opportunity almost every year that I do sit down in both Senator Murphy's office as well as Senator Blumenthal's office. And we do talk about these issues. But do I think that they'll ever vote with us? I don't. So they. I, might- I have
1: to ask you this. When you look at them and they're looking back at you,
6: mm-hmm. what do you see? Yeah, it's different. stare? Right. Most yeah. often it's uh, it's not actually them. It's an aide of some sort. Okay. Um, so I have sat and talked to Chris Murphy for almost an hour um, in his office, and we have talked about some of these issues. Um, Senator Blumenthal, actually, I gave testimony in Judiciary Committee a few months ago. I was invited down by Senator Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. who actually had me there as an expert witness in committee um, and had the opportunity to have some dialogue with Senator Blumenthal. However, in my subsequent meeting with the D.C. Project this past fall, um, we had his chief counsel.
1: All right. When we come back, I'm going to continue that conversation. I find it fascinating because I have a sneaky suspicion that while they pretend to listen to you, they couldn't care less what comes out of your mouth. And maybe I'll be corrected on that when we come back. Don't go away. One more segment from the SHOT Show.
4: This segment of Armed American Radio's Daily Defense is being brought to you by Daniel Defense. Visit DanielDefense.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Wow, I can't believe Greg down in Dallas, Texas. We've been so busy, I haven't even had a chance to say hello to you. How are you? And thank you for running this remote program today, Greg. How are you? I'm doing pretty good today, man. Uh, you've been listening to the show. It's been a good one. Yeah, it has. I've absolutely had some great guests, uh, and, and the conversation's just super interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, good show always is at I, shot. Yeah, and I, I I can't ask you to jump in to tell people where to watch because we're not doing live of video course. streaming while we're remote. So <laughs> forgive me, I'm not ignoring you. Thanks for everything you do down there in Dallas on the boards with all the bells and switches and whistles and cool lights and all that cool stuff. Yep. So let's go back to – how. we're by the way, let me just throw this out there. We are, of course, in the six Hour Studios remote from – The Sands Convention Center, the Venetian Hotel in beautiful, fabulous Las Vegas for the 2023 Shooting, Hunting, and Outdoor Trade Show, otherwise known as the SHOT Show. On the Fort Worth Armory, platinum microphone today, all of it brought to you by x insurance please go out of your way visit all of our partners at armedamericanradio.com we cannot have these conversations without our partners and your relationship with them all of their information is there patronize them and help keep us on the airways now 14 years into this for a reason and that's because of you thank you for that we appreciate it holly sullivan back to this conversation stalking uh, the permit process you were talking about sitting in the offices of murphy now thankfully I've only had the benefit of seeing Murphy and Blumenthal on TV and they're the kind of guys that I just can't watch them for too long because I know I can read people. I know I'm being lied to. I know they're not serious and I I have to believe that when they sit and look you in the face they have no intention of working with you. They don't care what you have to say to them as politicians and particularly progressive leftist communist Marxists masquerading as former Democrat politicians. They're telling you what they, th- that, th- what they think you want to hear, and they're not going to do a damn thing about it because their agenda trumps the lives and safety of their constituents. That's a bold statement to make, but it's true, isn't it?
6: I would agree with you, and I also think that they use tragedy um, to further their platform.
1: So when you know that going in, I guess I, I, I guess I'm gonna answer my own question. It can't stop you from going in.
6: It can't. It cannot. You have
1: to keep fighting.
6: And uh, you know, it's funny. So long before I was the president of CCDL, I've been on this. I've been on the the board of the executive committee of CCDL for seven years now. Um, seven years uh, of service to this. It's organization a lot of work. That I love very very much. But what's interesting is what really got me in front of. The CCDL group was talking about the DC project. So many years ago, when the DC project started their first trip to Washington DC to start talking to our federal, federal legislators, I went, um, in front of the CCDL meeting, which is probably about 120 people, um, and said, Hey, I want to, I want to go to Washington C- DC and, and talk to our federal legislators about what's going on back here and why we need them to understand our issues. And I was kind of met with a lot of like, well, good luck, you yeah. know, and I've gone back every single year, um, with the exception of the years that we were locked out because of COVID. Um, so, you know, what's amazing, if you go and visit Senator Murphy's office, it is painted Sandy Hook green. Um, mm-hmm. It's all, it, I mean, there's no, he, that's the platform, right? You can't walk, you can walk into almost any other office in the Hart Senate building, and it's just pretty normal, professional wood furniture. You walk into Chris Murphy's office, and it is Sandy Hook tragic. Okay, kid,
1: I'm going to throw something out here. Has there ever been a... And maybe John is sitting here. He can maybe answer the question. He's not on the mic. But I'm sure there have been defensive gun uses that have saved countless lives in Connecticut over the years. Absolutely. John, you would agree with that? He's shaking. Of course. And I'm going to bet. Exactly. How many shootings have been stopped, et cetera. And I'm going to bet you that far more people's lives have been saved in Connecticut because of defensive gun uses than were lost in Newtown.
6: I would certainly take that wager. Um, You know, it's challenging when we don't have the data.
1: Challenging because of the position we would have to take with the media, who's not going to report the factual information to us unless we can shove that data in their face. But we know those statistics are real. Absolutely. And I bet if you went to every local newspaper in Connecticut, which is the only place that publishes that robbery stopped or that defensive gun use, I bet if we added all those up, you and I are right on that assessment. Probably multiple times right Mm -hmm. on that assessment. Would Murphy even entertain that conversation and maybe change the color of his office? No. Okay. See, I can't get in the. I can't get in his head. It's impossible to get in a progressive, Marxist, liberal Democrat, or liberal You know, masquerading socialist as a former Democrat. We can't do it. Mm-hmm. But you have to keep trying. I have to keep you trying. You have no choice.
6: What's interesting was when you go into these offices. Um, a lot of the time, there's a guest book. Right when you sign in, and you know. I'll always flip through the pages while I'm waiting for my turn to go into the office. And oh, you I look can imagine the at the guest book, and it is Moms Demand Action, you know, Sandy Hook Promise, uh, Newtown Action Alliance. And it's over and over and over and over and over again. And you might go so far back, and there's no one from our side showing up because those folks are so rapidly anti-gun that that people kind of think that they're a lost cause. Maybe they are a lost cause, but we still have to be there because if we're not there, then they think that they're right. They. Get the perception that they're being yesed constantly and that nobody disagrees with them. We have to show up and continue to advocate for what we believe in and tell them what's really going on back home because you know, we don't.
1: A good friend of mine, Ryan Petty, who you may know, Ryan Petty, Parkland father. Ryan is going to be here on the show tomorrow as well. I, I wonder, you know, here's a guy, we all know what happened in Parkland as well. But here's a guy, he's part of the Parkland Commission. All 13 members of that commission, including some of the Parkland parents, went into that commission against arming teachers in schools. All 13 of them, with the exception of one who didn't vote, saw that closed-circuit television footage, including Bob Galtieri, Pinellas County Sheriff, who went in against arming teachers. All of them came out in favor of the Guardian program. Every single one of them. Would Murphy sit down, and I'm I'm not asking you to get in his head, but what you know of him. You believe he'd sit down and have an honest conversation with somebody like Ryan Petty, who comes on this program and co-hosts it with me for three solid hours in favor of gun rights, that we can stop this nonsense from occurring again? Would he even entertain it? I don't believe so. Doesn't fit his agenda, does it?
6: It does not. And there are groups out there. There's groups like Faster Saves Lives. I'm oh, oh, very
1: familiar with it, right?
6: Amazing groups out there. And, and even at that, even when we talk about just firearms deaths in our state, um, there are so many issues that we could be dealing with if we actually had a seat at the table. If if gun owners had a seat at the table with some of these far-left anti-gun um, legislators, we could actually be solving some of these problems, but we're not even included in the conversation.
1: Does Shannon Watts still live in Connecticut? Uh, no. Oh, that's a good thing. Maybe she could take Stacey Abrams with her when she moves. Now, she's retiring this year, from what I understand. Yeah.
6: So I think she's out in California now, if I... If oh,
1: I okay. Right. All right, good. Well, she likes the gun laws out there, but I'm sure. Uh, listen, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for being here. I know Greg is going to tell us that we're running out of time here. But this is a conversation, an ongoing conversation that you and I have to have. Absolutely. Uh, more people need to hear about what's happening in Connecticut. We talk about New Jersey. We talk about New York. And I'd really like to get in. So I'm going to invite you on the Monster Show, possibly this coming Sunday, as a quick follow-up for listeners of this program who will be able to then take it into the Sunday show. I'd like to talk more about those lawsuits. We didn't get a chance to get into those. Time gets the best of us because Greg in Dallas pushes the clock forward. It's not John's fault or my fault. But those lawsuits and post-brewing, because their laws that you live under in Connecticut are going to fall. That day is coming. It's going to be, as I often say, freedom is is an uphill battle. But freedom, I believe, will always prevail. I believe in the end it will prevail. And the Constitution state needs to get back to its roots. Absolutely. And uh, you guys are doing amazing work. Real quick, 10, 15 seconds, where can people join you?
6: Absolutely. A website is ccdl.us. And
1: ccdl.us, ladies and gentlemen. Also, Dr. Lott, crimeresearch.org. Make sure to check out crimeresearch.org. Get involved there. And spend five bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks, make a recurring donation. And Armed American Radio will be back again tomorrow here from the shooting, hunting, and outdoor trade show in the Sands Convention Center at the beautiful Venetian Hotel. Twenty twenty three is upon us. We'll be back tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you on the radio.